going to share something with you that sounds a little bit like bro science, and then I'll explain why it isn't. So you may have heard that the average human has between 10 and 20 pounds of impacted putrefying fecal matter in their intestines. That's not only a source of toxicity, but it's interfering with optimal digestion, absorption, and and assimilation of nutrients. I thought this was nonsense. However, I recently did a deep dive and an exploration after one of my clients went to a detox clinic that was using this specific cleanse that I'd never even heard of, but you probably haven't either, helping people with addiction, helping people with cancers and disease states and getting all sorts of crazy results and moving pounds of this putrefied mucus and fecal matter out of the intestines and colon and completely restoring people's health. So after he had this insane experience, he told me about it. I told him he had to hook me up. And his medical staff were a little bit hesitant, but I eventually convinced them to allow me to get a kit. And I went through this three-day detox. And the first day was kind of challenging, but you're drinking different packets and nutrients and that sort of thing. On day two, I had multiple feet of this rubber-like, almost silicone, gelatinous, mucus feces, almost like it was like every piece of gum that I'd ever swallowed from childhood until now was coming out. I couldn't even believe this stuff was inside of me. And this continued for the next two days until I finished the cleanse. I felt so much lighter, so incredible. I was I was actually taking videos of my trips to the bathroom so that I could show other people because I was completely blown away. And I'm telling this story not only because it's disgusting, but also in kind of a twisted way, a little bit entertaining, but because the reason that so many of us struggle to get in incredible shape, you know, to get off that last 10, 20 pounds. Yeah, some of it's discipline. Yeah, some of it's willpower, but a lot of it is what's going on in your gut. It's these sources of toxicity from the inside. It's the microbes like candida and parasites and and dysbiosis in the gut that are producing endotoxins and inflammation from within your body that are interfering with your metabolic health, running your hormones into the gutter, especially your thyroid hormone, your sex hormones, and your insulin sensitivity. And if you're the type of person that has been fairly healthy, disciplined, doing all the things that you you quote unquote should do, and you haven't yet found that next gear, I would like to help you if this is a mutual fit. I'm going to be working with a small handful of men that are passionate and excited and determined to take their body and their health to its full potential, to get visible abs, a six-pack in the next three to six months. This will involve multiple steps, but essentially we are going to eliminate every roadblock that stands between you and the body you have always wanted and get you in the best shape of your life. We're going to do detailed laboratory tests, a full blood panel beyond anything that you could possibly get at your doctor. Even if you do hormone replacement therapy or anything like that, it blows all of that out of the water. We're going to get a complete minerals and metals test, a complete candida metabolic and vitamins test, a complete omega and inflammation test, complete food sensitivity test, complete stress, mood, and 
metabolism test. We're going to do metabolic typing to create personalized nutrition program for you. And, and then we're going to combine that with biohacks and a proven process and expert guidance from me to optimize your sleep, your gut, your hormones, your nutrition, your training. We're going to use these diagnostics and tools to figure out exactly where there are breaks in your chain, fix those, optimize them, and then combine that with accountability where you and I, you have me walking you through this process every step of the way and showing you exactly what you need to do to get the fat off, to get down to the leanest, most vibrant, ripped, shredded, optimized version of yourself possible. This is only for men who are in a financial position to invest in themselves. It's only for men who are willing to radically change their nutrition, radically change their training, radically change their mindset, radically change their environment. Men who are willing to do whatever it takes to achieve these results and willing to go all in for that 90, 90 day to six month period. We're going to start with a full fight camp, like you are a world-class championship fighter going into the fight of your life. We're going to be 100% focused, dialed in in every facet, like every single decision that you make is either moving you closer to victory or further away. And every choice that you make will either result in you having your hands raised as a champion or getting knocked out. And realistically, this is not for most people. Most people do what most other people do, which is make choices that result in them being fat, sick, depressed, and leading lives of quiet desperation. This is for the 5% of people who are all in, who are excited and determined to explore their full potential during this life experience. If you are interested in having a conversation to see if this is a mutual fit, Go to biohackercoaching.com, fill out the short form, book a time on our calendar to talk with myself or someone from our team. I've never done anything like this before. This is completely comprehensive. All of your labs are included. All of your supplements and biohacks are included. You're going to get my favorite fat burner that you can use. It's I'm, I'm, I'm going to blow the surprise. It's an amazing espresso machine. I'm going to give you the only type of espresso I drink, and I'm going to show you how to use it to burn way more fat. I'm going to show you how to get maximum results in minimum time from your workouts. There's a lot of people that you probably look at them and they might be in better shape than I am at 40 years old and whatever. I think I look pretty good. I'm pretty happy with, with, with the way that I look and feel, but there are some guys that I'm sure are in better shape. I guarantee they work a lot harder than I do. I'll show you how to unlock maximum fat loss, build maximum muscle in minimum time. I'm going to give you my favorite biohack for getting shredded. We're going to literally send you an Airdyne bike, and I'm going to teach you exactly how to use it, what workouts we do. We're going to automate your nutrition. I'm going to send you a juicing machine that you can just load up, hit a button, and it juices it all for you so you don't have to stand there and it's easy to clean. We're going to get you some other stuff for home workouts how to dial in and, and self-quantify your training so that you know that you are in that Goldilocks zone. Too little doesn't work. Too much doesn't work. You got to be right in the sweet spot. And you're going to have me guiding you through it every step of the way. We're going to create a custom supplement program. You'll have full access to my calendar. We'll be on the phone every week at the beginning. And then once we kind of hit stride with things every two weeks, there's never been anything like this, especially where you have direct access to me. I'm not 
putting you off on other coaches or anything like that. This isn't, um, while this could be a program, I think Dr. Peter Atia charges something like a hundred thousand bucks for a program that isn't even close to this. And I will be taking you through at the highest level with the full diagnostics, knowing exactly what labs to order for you and then how to interpret those labs and then translate those interpretations into actionable results that will help you become the best version of yourself. Then we, we tailor that into the expert guidance phase, as I mentioned, where we're optimizing your gut, your sleep, your hormones, your nutrition, your training, everything. And then you have that expert accountability with me via text message. You're going to be taking photos of your food. You're going to be training six days a week. That doesn't sound sexy, but I'm going to put it out there so that you know what you're getting into. I know I'm talking to the, I'm talking to the psychos in the room. The people who want to push themselves, who want to be challenged, who don't want to just get by, and they want to see what they're capable of if they direct all of their faculties and focus to a proven system that is personalized for them with someone like me in their corner. So if you're interested in this, go to biohackercoaching.com, fill out the short form, book a time for us to talk, and then send me a text message to this number, 847 989 3743. Put VIP in there. If you want to have your application moved to the front of the line, I'm only going to be working with a small handful of guys. If you would like one of those men to be you, let's do it. Much love. This is your life and it's ending one minute at a time. I was blind, but now I see. Working jobs we hate, so we buy shit we don't need. Ideas are brutal. If you had one shot, Everything I'd ever read, heard, seen was now organized and available. Now you fucking khakis. Life moves pretty fast. The Biohacking Secret Show. Catherine Bajanian, welcome to the Biohacking Secret Show. Hi, nice to be here. Lovely to have you here. We're going to be talking about relationships and dating in 2023. Before we get into the fun stuff, what is love? <laughs> when, when I saw that on... Um, on your intake form, what is love? I immediately, like my brain just goes, baby, don't hurt me. And I start doing the <laughs> night at the Roxbury head bop. <laughs> like right, I'm, so dating, so. I'm dating myself here, but uh, yeah, yeah. I love that. I love that whole era. Um, give us a little bit of your backstory, your origin story for our listeners who might not be familiar with your work. Okay. So uh, I, I wish I had some kind of like compelling, crazy story of how I got into this, but it was just kind of like the love of. So um, I am currently, um, well, I specialize in relationship therapy um, or specialize in the area of relationships, sort of dating, love, anything related to that. And I have a private practice here in, in London, UK, and do lots of sort of talks on the topic and see individuals as well as like couples in the area. And I started off uh, pre-med in um at college and I thought that's where I was going and then I literally realized I was just skipping out on every possible class and using every excuse to skip on like my chem um courses and physiology and stuff and um psychology was sort of my like minor for fun and I thought you know it hadn't occurred to me that you could actually do something that you love um you know when I thought about job career I thought you know you you, it's the gift to pay for it. it has to be painful. Um, and then I was like, yeah. why the hell? It, it, dawned if it was on fun. Me. They wouldn't pay you to do it. 
that's it. I think like growing up, seeing, you know, my parents work hard and like all the adults that sort of like, you know, are just drudging through work um, to support their families. I know somehow it had clicked in my head that you're supposed to have a difficult time. Um, and then I was just like, I just can't do this. Um, so I switched over to, to psychology and it sort of just kind of took off on its own. I didn't know what the heck I was going to do, um, what direction I was going to go in, but um, did did fairly okay in undergrad and then ended up um, in, in sort of a master's program and ended up working um, initially uh, in sort of a domestic violence, sexual assault agencies. Um, I was quite into sort of female empowerment um, at the time and then realized, oh my goodness, like relationships require so much more than just a knowledge of what to do. Um, you know, there it's you're, you're bringing your entire being into a relationship. So there I just started to see client after client that was um, in horrendous situations. And when you traced it back to their childhood, there were all kinds of chaotic um, and abusive dynamics in their childhood as well. Um, and I really started to go, okay, there is a lot to this. Um, and then eventually I ended up moving to Hawaii because, you know, why the heck not? And um, there I worked for the military. And then I, I saw a lot of sort of mixed couples, soldiers that would get stationed somewhere and then ended up dating someone, falling in love, getting married, eventually moving back to the States. Um, and at some point, some of those relationships started to unravel. So I got really curious and it started to dawn on me that people are coming from different cultural backgrounds. So they have a different narrative of what a marriage is supposed to look like, what the dynamics between partners are supposed to look like, expectations, all of that. So there it was another sort of wake up call of, oh yeah, it, this has more to do than with just love. You really have to have an understanding of each other's value systems, expectations, all kinds of stuff. And so I ended up in, in the UK as a result, and I did a PhD in cross-cultural sort of, or in, in psychology, but my dissertation focused on cross-cultural relationships mm. um, and understanding, you know, in the East and the West, how we look at relationships, how we look at marriage, what we expect from partners, how, how much influence um, and involvement parents have, the community has. Um, and I just ended up, as a result, sort of specializing in that and setting up a private practice and it sort of just took off from there. Cool. And what do you mind me asking? What's your nationality? Like what? Where I'm Armenian. I Armenian? was, I was, yeah, I was originally born in Armenia, but we moved to the States when I was like four or five, something like that, very young. And I grew up in California. So personally as well, I experienced a lot of discontentment between like growing up two different cultures and two mm -hmm. different cultures that have, um, very different cultural norms and expectations and standards. And it took me a very long time to figure out how to bring the two together in a harmonious way. And, and when I was growing up, I just didn't know how to manage that. So it felt like whenever I was doing well in one, I wasn't doing well in the other. And I would sort of flip flop back and forth mm -hmm. um, and felt very sort of lost in terms of the cultural norms for a while uh, until I kind of came to actually, I would say like England, where I was away from both cultures 
And then, and also getting old enough, you know, I was in sort of my mid to late twenties and old enough that I sort of really got into cultural studies and understood uh, a little bit more of uh, how cultures evolve, how they come to be, how they influence us. And then I started to understand that you can actually make these two cultural frameworks work really well together. And all along I had tried to like exist in one or the other, but when I started to see that I can pick and choose and have these values complement and be more expansive, then it kind of started to dawn on me that this is this these two cultural backgrounds are actually making me better. Um, they allow me to understand things more. They give me more depth because I have uh, different frameworks to choose from. And that's so when I work with couples that have a different cultural background, that's always the intent. And what to sort of help them figure out a harmonious way to complement one another because they're doing often what I was doing when I was growing up, which is clashing a lot. Mm. Um, and, you know, beyond just culture as well, like that's a huge problem in relationships is when we do have different values, um, irrelevant of like whether it comes from a cultural background or whether it's where we grew up, our community, or whether it's because our parents taught us something different. But inevitably, you know, no matter how aligned we are as a couple, we are going to get to some point where we have differences and how we manage that. Either we end up clashing and getting stuck and just sort of getting getting in this loop, uh, or we figure out how to pick and choose in a way that expands us uh, uh, as a couple. Yeah, I've I've noticed and been impressed these past few years with just how much of our behavior is dictated by our need to be uh accepted by the tribe mm. and um and 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 how like one of the, the the most painful things that you can do to a human being is to isolate them or have them feel like they've been outcast and because of that how many people based on where they're living geographically or you know their 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 family their familial nationality and background and what whatever cultures they're from they almost blindly follow the cultural norms or the 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 socio-geographic norms because they want to be accepted and it's never evolved beyond that to where you're talking about which is intentionally picking and choosing what aligns with your value system and what serves you right? We're kind of like moving up a hierarchy here of, of, of different levels. Um, would you mind giving us a little bit of an idea? Like, so you're from an Armenian family, like yeah. what, what was describe love relationships, the, 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 the family unit marriage, like what was the culture that you came from? Okay. So firstly, to your point about being accepted by the tribe and, and how much, how ingrained that is in us. Um, absolutely. Yes. Cause our tribe was our survival, right? So our survival depends on our, um, coalition and acceptance by the tribe. So, so that's why it's so terrifying to feel like an outcast. But the other thing is, is that like, if you've grown up in in one community or culture, you're not even aware of anything different. Like when you accept those norms, it's not like you have a choice. You don't even know it's a choice, right? And so that's the the benefit of have, being exposed to different cultural norms and traveling a little bit and getting out of your community is suddenly you start to realize 
oh, there are other options out there that didn't even occur to me. Um, and, and that's where when I'm working with couples, I'll, I'll see that like they are have like adopted some of these values so early on because you're born into your culture, right? And so the second you're born into it without even realizing it, you're absorbing all this stuff. And because you've adopted it so early on, it's almost part of your essence. And so when their partner is arguing a different way, like they sometimes can't even imagine outside of that space. It's like, no, you're wrong. You're just wrong. Why are you wrong? Well, because it's just, it's wrong. Right. It's and because something feels so fundamentally right to you, so normal, so part of how you've always seen uh, yourself and others in your community do it, that anyone outside of that immediately feels uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And and it's not because we're prejudiced or discriminatory or any of that. It's just that we're creatures of habit. So when we practice something long enough, it becomes our comfort zone. Like, and it's part of our the habit of being us. And so trying to break out of that um, is very difficult. So anybody that is in a cross-cultural uh, relationship that is strong or, you know, or they're just struggling with differences uh, I'd say it's normal for that to happen. And it's also normal for you to feel so invested in your position as well. Cause it's, it, it's, it's so ingrained in you, but if you do, if, if you do want an expansive relationship and for you to mature and grow out of the, the norms that you've been taught, you have to be willing to be uncomfortable. So with a lot of couples, I'll say, look, um, and and some are very different, right? With the the more different that they they the like the cultural backgrounds they come from, the diff- more difficult and the more negotiating and talking and communicating and all of that requires. And it's like sometimes it's just like you really got to get uncomfortable or comfortable in the uncomfortable until you're finally able to like move beyond it. But this is not supposed to feel like all easy and and comfortable. Like when you are in a relationship and you're trying to expand beyond what you know, and your partner's pushing you to, because they're bringing a new perspective, you you don't just miraculously change and all is good. Like maturation process is really uncomfortable. You really got to push past those norms. Um, And it's not a pleasant experience on the end of it. Like if you manage, it'll be great. But just like if you have not, you know, been working out forever and you decide I'm going to pick up, you know, a healthy running habit in the mornings, it's not a comfortable process. You might be excited about it in the beginning, but as soon as that motivation runs out after week two, it's uncomfortable. You're tired. Your body's aching and your body's telling you not to do this. This isn't not what we know. Um, your your muscles are not, you know, they, they're not used to it. So same thing psychologically when we're trying to adopt new habits and a new viewpoint, it is not going to be a comfortable process. So don't think falling in love uh, somehow miraculously makes you into a happy, more loving person. First, it puts you through the grill. And then if you can get through that on the other side of it, you'll have a deeper and better understanding of yourself, of the world, of your partner and, and all of that. Um, so, I mean, in terms of like Armenian cultural background, um, how can I describe it? It's, it's like Mediterranean, um, very family, very, very family oriented, uh, very strong uh, belief system in 
yeah, family patterns, dynamics, um, you know, like keeping the family close together. So the fact that all of my family is in California and I'm here is very unusual. I'm the only one out of all of my cousins and stuff that's actually moved uh, not only out of state, but out of the country. Um, but my my brother and I are the two that have sort of left and and sort of ventured off uh, on our own. But when you're when you're younger and you're growing up in a Western culture and you see all your friends doing that, moving away from for college and all of that, it's really conflictual that, you know, you you feel like you're somehow being held back. And so my focus all, all, the entire time when I was younger was sort of to make way for myself. And I, it, interestingly, it's because you've also seen your parents do it. They've, they've immigrated to a new country and they've made a life for themselves and they've built something from the ground up. So they've kind of modeled this um way of being which is like you you you're you figure it out and you go build a life on your own and so at the same time I wanted to do that but the norms was no like we're building it and then you sort of stay close by and the family sort of expands and you eventually you know get your education get a job you get married and uh and all that happens and that just for whatever reason just wasn't part of my temperament I was always curious about the outside world. And um, to my parents' credit, when it came to education, they supported that process. And I figured out a long time ago that, uh, yeah, when it comes to education, that's the one thing my family really values. So when I go, I'm going away for a trip for for anything to do with school, they were like, okay. And that was my way of being able to um, sort of break away and to figure things out on my own. Um, but I will say, like those cultural values, they are very, again, part of very much part of your essence. So they're this sort of like life that I've now built where I'm away so far away from family is now very uncomfortable. Now that I've earned that independence, now it's like everybody, you know, all my family, cousins and everybody, everybody's in one place. And uh, you you know, that whole tribe thing. Yeah, being outside of the tribe. So it's um it's 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 a struggle. So the cultural values and and often we'll notice as people get older some of the cultural values they'll embrace it in a way they hadn't when they were younger. Um so you kind of come back to your essence or your origins. Right. I experienced that a little bit as well. Um my family's from the Chicago area mm-hmm. and in 2017, I moved with my girlfriend at the time to Delray Beach, Florida. I was there for mm-hmm. three years. And, you know, my dad has Parkinson's. His Parkinson's was getting worse. My mom was having trouble taking care of him. And you've got me in Florida. My brother and his wife are in in Mexico. And we were like, we got to go back. I mean, it was like home is burning. We got to go back and help mom and and figure all of this out. And um it ended up bringing us much closer together in part because we'd mm-hmm. all gone different directions for a variety of reasons. I wanted to live here, you know, different work opportunities take you to different geographical locations. Yeah. But ultimately, I think if if we're the type of uh, creatures who are introspective, it's like, well, what do we value? Do I value uh, commercialism and maximizing my income regardless of geographical location and and proximity to my family and my tribe or you know do I want to be there for my parents when they get older mm-hmm. to a certain degree you know and, and and I'd never really thought about that stuff too much just because like 
college, everyone, you know, they got jobs wherever they could get the best job and that's where they went, you know, but because our, my parents started getting sick, um, that had me kind of reevaluate and like, well, do I really care mostly about being in the sun and on the beach and like being able to go have fun, have, you know, nights in Miami, or is it like, I want to be there if, 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 if my mom, you know, needs me to take her to the emergency room. Cause she just had a heart attack. Like I mentioned to you happened on, on Wednesday. Right. And, and, um, the other thing that you brought up that I think is, is interesting is it seems like a lot of people there's, there's people that tend to be more growth oriented mm-hmm. in nature and, you know, lifelong learners. Um, and there's people that are a little bit more comfort oriented. Mm-hmm. And I've seen this in our coaching practice a lot. There, there can be conflicts, especially in marriages where people got together very young and it turns out one of them is incredibly growth oriented and the other is incredibly comfort oriented. Yep. I'm curious your thoughts on that. Is that, is that a point of conflict that you observe frequently in your practice? Yeah, I do. Uh, I, I definitely do. And to that point where, you know, we could have got together on, on the basis of we were certain types of people. And then as life happens, we change and evolve over time uh, and people can change and evolve in different directions. And that one of self-development of growth orientation is one that is difficult to overcome if your partner is not on the same page because you tend to sort of outgrow the relationship, Mm -hmm. right? Um, So two people get together and they're in a certain position, let's say they are two professionals, whatever, living in whatever city. And they have similar ways of hanging out and having fun and partying and they're, you know, they're developing their careers and stuff. And, but once all of that initial stuff is done, then someone might be like happy to sort of stay in that space. And the other one is like yearning for more. So it, it also depends on what that like growth is. It, Sometimes we feel like our, we need our partner to be able to understand us on a deeper level. Let's say someone is developing their a spiritual aspect of them, right? And that's something that they feel like they want to be able to share with their partner. That's going to be problematic versus like your growth orientation might be that you're developing new skill set and hobbies and stuff. Maybe you're picking up. I don't know, guitar or whatever. And that might not necessarily be that I need my partner to be able to do the same thing. So it will depend on how that like growth, what that growth is being channeled into. But I will say, yeah, for sure. Like on a, on a personal level, um, that this, if you're developing on a personal level, you're gaining more insight, you're, you're gaining a different language of how to be able to, to speak and you might be able to better regulate your emotions. So that means you're going to be your conflict resolution skills are going to be different though. The things that you want to actually discuss and the depth that you want to go to is going to be different. The things that you might find enjoyable now might be different. And so it starts to affect lots of different areas mm-hmm. uh, of a relationship. And that's where it starts to be problematic. And, you know, it's not, it doesn't feel fair to the other person as well. Cause they're like, look, I married you on the basis of, or I'm with you on the basis of one thing. And now it feels like you've switched it up on me um, and I didn't ask for this, right? And the other person is also from their position, from their vantage point going, yeah, but I don't want to stay the same, right? Like we have a whole life ahead of us and I don't want to be, 
I, I want to experience new things. And so they've both got a point. Um, again, which is often the case with within relationships is like both people have valid points. It's a matter of like how to like manage that and different people find ways to, to manage it. I, I will say that whenever I see an individual and they're in a relationship, at some point I will always ask the partner to join us because that is part of one of my concerns is that you might be doing all this work on yourself Right. And changing and evolving. And your partner has no idea what the heck is going on at home. Um, And I've seen people come to me for couples therapy when one of them started personal therapy a while ago. And they've kind of half evolved out of that relationship. And then now that that gap is looking pretty obvious. And that's when they come in to, to, to see me for couples work. And sometimes we 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 couldn't catch it soon enough so the the other person's already halfway out that door so that's uh, one of the things I, I keep in mind whenever i do see individuals in a relationship is um within a few weeks once we started to sort of do some work is invite the other person in to sort of fill them in on what's been going on to also allow them space to voice any concerns and stuff uh, that they have um, and to sort of encourage them to be able to connect on the growth, not to leave the other person behind as you're uh, growing and changing, but to sort of help them uh, catch up or be right. included in that process. There's um, there's a great scene from that movie Old School with with Will Ferrell, where yes. like him and his wife go in for counseling, and the therapist is like, you know, hey, look, we're in the trust tree. You can say whatever's on your mind. I just kind of want to know what have you been feeling about, you know, your marriage and everything. And Will Ferrell's like, well, I, I, you know, I find myself looking at other women and, and sometimes wondering like, what color panties is she wearing? You know, are they, are, are, are they like, you know, plain old white panties or are they like maybe something crazy I've never seen before and you see his wife getting increasingly disgusted looking at him and the therapist is kind of disgusted and he's like you can tell they're both upset he's like what I thought we were in the trust tree are we not in the nest what what's going on here right (laughs) um have you had I I mean obviously there's there's discretion here and, and confidentiality but without naming any names have you had any like what's the funniest or the craziest situation that you've ever had happen with a couple coming in? Did you ever feel like, oh my gosh, I'm in over my head here. How do I handle this? Yes. And they're often not funny. They're like sad, right? Like it's like, it's painful sometimes actually to watch people come in and they're in such different spaces. Totally Um, different realities. Completely. Yeah. And, and it's, it's, it's almost like, they pick up on the fact that they're starting to feel differently. And because they're afraid of what that means, they don't talk about it. And so by the time they get to my door and we're talking about it, now they're really, they've branched out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's where I find it really challenging. It's like, if you had just come in a year or two ago or whatever, then we could have caught it before you guys had split off so much. But um yeah, no, I've had people sort of come in and and like just drop the bombshell of like, I want out, you know, after like third, fourth session. It's like, yeah, I've decided I want out of this relationship and we've been together for 20 years and have like three kids, but I'm ready to go. And I'm like, and they're out within a week, um, you know, because they, yeah. And the other person's just like, what? Like completely in oh. shock of what in the world is is happening. 
Um, and it's like they're in such different levels of problem. But the, because the other individual, like by the time they've made that decision to be out, they've already gone through the entire process of grieving and figuring out all of that. So they're in a completely different emotional and mental state. And then it's a, and this person is like they're hearing it for the first time and they're in complete shock mode. Uh, so it's hard to create a sense of empathy because even when you're breaking up, like you want there to be a gentle process, like you don't want it to be contentious. Right. But when you're two in such different places and one feels like you've been holding me back for so long and I'm ready to go. And the other person's just like, how could you betray me like this? Very like challenging to hold that kind of space for two people that again, I can see where they're each coming from. And, and as a therapist, you're, it's necessary for both people to feel like you get their perspective, but to be able to get their perspective individually and then, and then help not alienate one or the other as you are empathizing with one is a difficult position. Um, I can't emphasize more to like your listeners, like if they are noticing anything, never ignore it because these things do not like go away if you are having any sense of something is up the earlier you catch it like you know it's like going to, to the doctor like sometimes people have symptoms and they put it off and they put it off and by the time you get there there it's just it can be incredibly messy and complicated um so i know i know people put it off because they don't know how to talk about that to talk about it but you're eventually gonna gonna have to Mm-hmm. Um, so when you notice it, yeah, get in there as, as soon as possible. Yeah. In, in a little bit, I'd like to talk about some tools for that too, because, or frameworks that people could use for bringing up, uh, difficult conversations and addressing the elephant in the room in a way that the other person doesn't feel threatened and feels like, you know, they can be honest as well. So, um, to, to plant a seed there, but, um, you know, I think there's a, a big shift that's occurred too in the past few generations where our grandparents' generation and parents' generation, like till death do us part, was taken a lot more seriously. And when that vow, that commitment, especially if you believe that commitment to be, you know, in in the company of God and the witness of God, you'll yeah. do a lot more to improve a situation than someone who is maybe just like, hey, as long as this marriage is all good, you know, I'm in it. But, you know, when ish hits the fan or things get a little bit uncomfortable, they're going to bounce. And I guess like when you're selecting a mate, what are some of the things that that you you look for? How do you make sure you're in alignment on growth versus comfort mentality? Like, how serious does that person take the commitment of marriage? You know, what yeah. are some of the other things that you're like, you got to get all this out on the table, even if it's a, a challenging yeah. situation? Well, look, I think like, uh, as you said, sort of, you know, grandparents generation and and before that people took uh, marriages more seriously, but not, it wasn't just that they took it more seriously and that's why they stayed together. It was marriage required a lot less than what we require of it now to stay together, mm-hmm. right? Like the level of expectations we have for our partners nowadays uh, is just extraordinary. Like 
try to tell your grandmother what you look for when you're dating, right? Like she, she probably had like two things on her list. If that my, my um, grandmother told me before she passed on, on the Italian side, that one of the reasons that she married my grandpa was because he could like the little village they're from, he could throw a ball higher than all the other boys in the sky. She was like, I knew I wanted him to be my husband. Yep. <laughs> True story. <laughs> that, that's exactly what I mean. That's it. It's exactly that. It's like the things that like our grandparents looked for <laughs> in an ideal mate. I mean, just not like wouldn't A occur to us now and it just wouldn't even make it to the list, right? But if you show any any like old person your list of stuff, they're just like, Are you crazy? Like what are you what are you doing? Um so I think we've become the more aware we've become in the world and because our grandparents also and whatever, they weren't as aware. They like you said, like there she was in a small village, like how many variations of a man did she sort of see? Right. And so there was a lot less she was aware of, and therefore there was a lot less that she would looked for. Um, and it was it, the things that also that they looked for in our grandparents' generation were based in reality. You know, she saw boys throw balls in the air and that's like one of the things that therefore she whereas now we are exposed to online and instagram and whatever and we see who knows whose boyfriend god knows where like you know making millions and so we're like yep that's what i want right and so the things that we are now exposed to as a result we just know more we're aware of more and so now we want more from our relationships from our partners. Your grandmother no less wanted a great relationship, a happy relationship, but her expectations and standards were just much more limited. So she expected and wanted less from her partner. And that was something he could give her. That was like the thing that she asked for was reality based. Whereas the stuff that we want is not reality based. We look at look at amazing looking people having the time of their life with ease. And we're like, that's what I want. Right. And it's, it's all kind of smokes and mirrors. It's not even real, but your brain can't differentiate between what's real or not, because supposedly the online world is real. These are real people. It's not a movie where we're seeing it's real people. And so we can't help it, but internalize those wants, be exposed to more than we need to be exposed to and want more than is actually realistically possible. So that's what makes uh, dating nowadays very hard. And in terms of maintaining that long-term relationship, yes, the institution of marriage is really sort of our expectations for it to be a forever thing have broken down. That's for sure. But also the stuff that also our grandparents wanted, they were pragmatic things and they were measurable, right? So it was things like, can we build a home together and kids and make enough money to like support the family? Those are measurable things. Um, whereas now it's like, can you support my hopes and dreams? Can you make my soul happy? Right. Can we, can we feel passionate when we're together? They're, they're abstract concepts and they can change minute to minute. And so it's very hard to have that be measurable. So one minute we can feel satisfied because we're we're feeling connected and passionate and excited. And the next minute, it might be something our partner did, or it might be sometimes I just find out that people are just listless in their own life. They haven't been evolving and developing and they're not changing enough. And so they're bored. And and that 
and they assume that they're bored because of their relationship, but they're just bored because they're not changing. Right. Yeah. There's, there's discontentment in one's life situation. Yeah. And if they're with a partner, it's very yeah. easy to look at the external and then yes. point the finger at like the closest yes. thing to you, yeah. you know, exactly. where there, there are some times where it, the best thing that could happen to someone is they maybe break up or get broken up with and then realize there's still there's still that discontentment or that unhappiness. And then they're like, shit, I got no one to blame now. I got to actually step in front of the mirror and, and, and look at myself, you know? That's right. So um, just to kind of like provide, what, what do you do in situations where there is that, that conflict between a partner who is very much growth oriented, um, maybe into health and wellness and, and constant never ending improvement and someone that isn't like, is that something that can be reconciled? And if so, how? Yeah, because you can make changes either because you're, you want to, you're inspired to, or because you're afraid, right? There's like, when we're, when we're at college and we're like out looking for our first job or whatever, we might be terrified of the fact that like, if we don't get a job, we, you know, we're out and we're finally like, you know, at that age where we can't sort of just ask our parents for support. And so like fear can be a great motivator as well. And then you get older and you have a nice cushiony job, but you're bored. And so you're like inspired to want to do more. So you can either be inspired to change or be a fear, have a fear of a loss of some of kind um, and want to change as a result. So that's what we sort of assess. It's like in, in a relationship, it's not always that you do things out of inspiration and love. Sometimes you do things because if you don't, you're going to incur real harm to your relationship. Yeah. Fear is way more effective. Yeah. I, I say so too. <laughs> I say so too. So that's kind of what we assess. It's like for the growth oriented person, like we really kind of assess like on the basis of who the two of you were and what the sort of agreement was that you, you got into this marriage. Have you changed so much so that like, it's kind of, I mean, have you changed so much that you are not attracted to your partner anymore? That might be a thing, right? By the time again, they, they hit my door, they might have out evolved their relationship and that's happened. And I've had to help people go through a breakup, um, without the other person just growing completely resentful, uh, of the individual that sort of has changed and changed the terms of the relationship. But that happens. The other is like with a person that's growing is, are there enough qualities about your partner that you're still desirable? Are they kind? Are they loyal? Do they support you? You know, are you looking at this new shiny thing, um, as, your new evolution. And if your partner doesn't have it, like you're focused on that, but you're forgetting how many other incredible qualities that they have. And maybe those qualities of them being stable and consistent allow you to be growth oriented, has allowed you to go out there and change because there's a stable base. Right. Uh, and so can you use that secure and stable base in a way that you feed your needs for growth and maybe bring that new information or new insights in a fun and engaging way in, into your relationship rather than a criti criticizing, nagging, demeaning manner? Right. So are you introducing these new ideas in an inspiring way and valuing your partner for what they offer so that you can make these changes? Um 
Uh, and then, then we also then look at the other partner who's not changing. Is it, are you just simply being kind of complacent and lazy? Like, have you hit a point where it's like, well, I've got the person we built a life. And so mm. I'm, I'm good. Right. So that, that is a big underlying belief a lot. Like, Oh, I've got them now locked them in with marriage. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and again, that's not maybe, talked about either. Maybe before we could have done that, grandparents' yeah. generation, we could have mm-hmm. coasted through that yeah. way. And that's not going to work mm-hmm. uh, nowadays because we need emotional connection. Grandparents didn't need this intimacy of emotional connection and depth. Mm-hmm. Um, we need that. And so if one of them is changing in a direction when they are developing emotionally in a way that the other person can understand and that emotional connection and I can't come and share my new ideas and experiences with you, I'm not going to be able to bond with you on an emotional level. And that's going to be problematic. That was not problematic for our grandparents. They were just like, can you help support the family? Can you help raise the kids? Cool. Right. I don't need to feel connected to you on that level that we need now. So emotional connection is going to require that we're kind of growing in similar directions. So for the complacent partner, that's where that fear might come in. It's like, look, I know you haven't signed up for this. This is not what you thought your life was going to be like, but your partner is changing in this way. And if you don't do something about that to sort of keep up so that you guys can maintain that connection, that emotional connection, then it's going to fall apart. How would you, this is a little personal, but kind of fun. Like, how would you describe your father? Very uh, sort of old school in like, very invested in supporting his family, like working like night and day to support his fam- family, but uh, emotionally, not entirely like there, not like not like he was for my mom uh, or the, the way my mom was for us. So I think as as he's gotten older and as now my brother and I are older, he has reflections where I think like for me, he was more so there for me because I was older and he was younger then and he engaged in a different way. Whereas when we moved to the States and my brother was born in the US, my dad really had to throw himself into developing a career here, developing business, whatever it was to support his family in this new country where you know they didn't know the language, everything was completely new to them. So I think he was more emotionally unavailable because he was just working a lot longer. So I think what tired, exhausted, tired, absolutely working all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And that became his focal point of like being able to support the family financially so that we could have choices to do whatever, like, you know, they supported us paying for university or all, all this stuff. But I think that as now I'm getting older, I'm like, wow, that was so useful. Like I've, what, you know, cause when you're younger and I guess also growing up in the States, there's a lot of push around parents should be emotionally available to you. Parents should do this and parents should do that. There's a lot of expectations around parents. And I think it actually alienates kids and parents. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and kids don't understand that parents aren't enjoying not being around. Sometimes they're tired and working. Right. Uh, but then the, because the narrative is, is like and in movies and shows like, look how available parents should be when you don't have that from your real life parents because they're actually tired and it's not a 30 minute sitcom. Then it makes it feel like, oh, it's because they don't care about me so much and they don't you know understand me and all of that. Um, and I've sort of grown up and realized 
actually, you know, parents are conditional human beings. So this concept of unconditionality, unconditionally being there for you is not possible because they're like us are physically limited human beings. So there's only so much time and energy they can place in, in somewhere. But I'd say like in terms of my dad, I think he's given a very good depiction for me of what strong masculinity for me is, which is like a man that's fully committed to providing for his family, to being the backbone um, and to sort of ensuring that his family gets what they need to to thrive. But in terms of emotionally, yeah, not always being able to offer that uh, until until now, until now that he's like able to as as we're older. Um, so you've answered a little bit of, of these, but just to kind of like distill it down, if we were to kind of focus it on just one word, right? The like a few of the characteristics or traits of your father that you value the most distilled down to a single word. Loyal and committed. Loyal and committed. And family or like family. Oriented. Fam- yeah. Yeah. And then the most frustrating aspects of your father, perhaps ones that you would maybe haven't even shared with him. Uh, just while I, while I have being a therapist, you should end up sharing. Every, I figured you had. <laughs> I figured you're like, um, I, I got to do this. This is part of my yeah, journey. I've, I've had like hours and hours of conversations. Dad's with like, oh, great. So glad I paid for university and all those psych <laughs> yeah, classes. How long is this going to take? Exactly. <laughs> I mean, hours, like four or five hours of conversations with them in one go. Um, I think the so the the worst sort of character is that the the like not understanding of how to be emotionally supportive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So emotionally, like just maybe not emotionally mature, not as emotionally developed as you would like. Um, I think emotionally stoic. Uh stoic. and and like I love stoic philosophy, but I think that men back then were had to like hold it all in. But look, I've now understood that because I think when you as a man, when you are everything is on your shoulders. And, you know, when I look back at my dad, I'm like, they moved to a new country in their sort of late 20s. He already had a kid didn't speak the language, didn't have the skill set that the U.S. requires because they don't you know, look at the same qualifications and things like that. Literally had to start start from ground up and it's on his shoulders to be able to provide for his family. So that level of emotional strain, like you've got to have a way to like actually numb yourself emotionally to be right. able to manage that kind of stress. Cause I've been in that level of stress where I'm working my butt off and I actually went through burnout. Like it was, it was tough. And mm-hmm. so having done it myself, I'm like, no wonder, like, these old school men where they were all about working hard and working at difficult jobs and not like not getting any emotional satisfaction from the work that they're re- doing. You know, we talk so much about meaning from work and all that stuff. And it's like, no, like my dad didn't have any of that. It was like, he had to provide for his family and he had to figure out a way in a completely foreign country. And he already had a child. He had a baby on the way. Like, of course he had to numb himself emotionally to be able to manage yeah. Yeah, so, that's kind yeah. of traumatic, especially with with such a stark contrast in I mean, culture shock. Yes. Right? It was probably so different. Cal- I mean, California is culture shock for a lot of people in different parts of the U.S. that go there, let alone like Armenia. Yeah. Um, and there's probably a lot of single women listening to this that are like loyal, strong masculinity, you know, fully committed to his family, emotionally stoic. Where do I find a dude like that? 
I'm getting a bunch of fuck boys on the dating apps. Like, you know, I'd like to go back in time and get, get me a good Armenian man, you know? Maybe not. <laughs> I wouldn't necessarily recommend You would caution against that? <laughs> Careful what you wish for, ladies. Yeah, exactly. So in early 2022, almost out of nowhere, I started experiencing massive changes in my body and mental health. My hair was thinning and falling out faster than ever before. I was experiencing mood fluctuations, I was putting on body fat, losing strength and muscle mass. I was even having a harder time remembering certain people's names and things that I knew I knew. My face looked older and I had more wrinkles and there was a noticeable decrease in my sex drive. And then one of the guests that I had on our podcast introduced me to a product called BioPro Plus that naturally boosts your IGF-1 and human growth hormone levels. If you haven't listened to that episode, go back and check out episode 265 on how to increase HGH, boost libido, and experience 68% better recovery with Dustin Baker. BioPro Plus contains a combination of powerful natural ingredients for boosting HGH, human growth hormone, and IGF-1, like elk antler, tribulus, and shilajit, all in their purest and most potent forms. What's interesting is elk antlers are the only mammalian appendage capable of continuous regeneration. These antlers grow an inch or more per day and have the fastest growth rate of any organ in the animal kingdom. I started taking one glass vial every morning and holding it under my tongue for 90 seconds before swallowing. And before I'd even finished my first kit, I was getting compliments on my skin and how I looked five to 10 years younger. You can even go back and look at some of my social media videos from earlier this year and you'll see how big of a difference there is. Since then, my energy has increased. I feel more motivated. My libido and sex drive came back. I've been losing fat. I'm stronger and recovering faster from my workouts and my hair is coming in thicker and it even stopped falling out. If my story resonates with you, I highly recommend you try BioPro Plus for yourself. When you feel it, you'll understand what I'm talking about. And for a limited time, you can save $30 on your order by going to bioproteintech.com and entering discount code biohacks. That's B-I-O-P-R-O-T-E-I-N-T-E-C-H.com and discount code B-I-O-H-A-C-K-S. Now back to the show. So then out of curiosity, like, are you married? Are you in a relationship right now? Uh, I am not at the moment, though. No. Okay. And then <laughs> what what type of, of men do you find yourself attracted to? That, that kind. Yeah, that 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 type. Uh, I'm attracted to that type. And to your, like, to your point earlier, it's hard to find a guy like that. But I yeah. think that the problem has been, and this is where I see with a lot of professional women is, we have now the added layer of having developed maximizing our career, right? Mm -hmm. And so when you're, as a woman, you're looking for your, we date, you know, equal or up. And so it's now very hard because on that level of like loyalty and all that, because like my mom didn't expect financial stability or some ambitious career oriented individual when they got together, they were in their early twenties and they developed that along the way together. Mm -hmm. And my dad did it out of necessity. He's not particularly highly driven and ambitious, but he just did what he had to, to provide for his family mm -hmm. and ended up doing well because we had lots of needs. Um, but like, because I've taken so long to develop my career and stuff. So on the line of like loyalty and caring and everything now it's like, well, he has to be as ambitious and he has to like be driven. And 
I've developed myself emotionally a lot. So we have to be able to have that level of conversation. So the list starts to add up as you right. get older. Yeah. And and especially if you have a high degree of career success. Yeah. That and and you and and one of yeah. your frameworks is that equal or up. I wanted to date a guy who's doing at least as well as yeah. me or better, you know, it's I could see situations where if that's not possible or that severely limits your dating pool. You know, if you end up with a guy who's not doing as well, you might also lose attraction. Or if he's playing Mr. Mom, it might be very much in conflict with all of the beliefs and things you saw growing up where you're like, you know, it puts him in a situation that he can't really win. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I think that's the, like, the thing is like, I want to make clear because I think sometimes I hear women talk about that. And I think to guys, it comes across as like, um, you know, all gold digger or greedy or whatever. And for a lot of women that have done well, and I want to say those that have actually done it themselves, it's that there it's, it's hard to be more driven than the person that you are with, right? Like it, you, there is something about how we're wired as women, um, to want to, uh, a man that is committed to something and it doesn't have to do with money. It's like, if I'm driven about something, I need you to be equally passionate about something about your career. You could be working in the, uh, I don't know, in some kind of charity work, but like, there's a real, there's something to it that you are really committed to really, really driven by. And that like level of intensity has to be seen. I can't, I can't have that more so than you. So you can't just be working at a listless job that you come home and complain about when, you know, I'm completely committed to whatever it is. So, um, yeah, that's, um, And, and I think often we equate success for men with like that masculine energy, that, that masculine drive to go out. And in many cases, women who are very successful in their careers have some aspect of that, that they can tap into, you know? And, um, for, a woman to find a partner that she's attracted to, he has to be strong enough and perhaps masculine enough for her to feel like she could step into her feminine, yeah. you know? And if that's not the case, then, you know, so there's, there's just a lot of layers there, but I get, I get what you're saying. Do you, do you believe from, from your work in therapy that it's a safe assumption, this generality and there's of course outliers, but a lot of men end up with women who are similar to their mother and a lot of women end up with men who are similar to their father? I, I wouldn't say in, in that way, but I think it's, um, we will look for uh, familiar traits in our in our partner. And that's why we'll meet someone and we'll go, oh my God, it feels like I've like, like I already know you or, you know, we have so much to talk about and it's it's so easy. It's so comfortable with you. And that's usually an indication that they are, meeting certain qualities and traits that we are very familiar to us from our family. So we're both going to be drawn to those things that are very familiar to us. Um, and also what wasn't there, like what was missing, what we weren't allowed to be. So let's say we've grown up in a family where it's very prime and proper and stuff, and someone comes along and they're more of a free spirit. I don't give a, you know, whatever that we'll, we'll also be drawn to, to that because those are underdeveloped parts of us that are yearning to be developed and we see it in the other. Um, and it's like, oh, like that part of us comes sort of alive. So it, it's not so much that sort of we're modeling if we're a guy off of our mom or whatever. It's the qualities in our parents that had the biggest impact on us 
both on a positive level that we really liked and really embedded in into us and also those that we really yearned for that we didn't have an opportunity to to develop how do you describe like the dating landscape today there's there's all these dating apps it's difficult to i mean like i have a few of them and i'll sometimes get on there when i'm bored and being truthful like i joke with some of my friends and you know one of my friends she'll send me pictures of like her options on bumble just because of how awful they are. And, uh, and she's like down in Florida, you know, it's a lot of Florida guys and, um, not, not anything bad with Florida guys, you know, the Florida man stereotypes, um, lots of mullets and that sort of thing, alligator wrestlers. Um, but I find myself too. It's like, my brain is not wired for dating apps mm-hmm. and I almost get on there and it's like a little game, like the swiping game. And then I match and I do nothing where I'll have like all these matches and I'm like, I've gone on like one hinge date in the past year, you know, or two in the past year and a half or something like that. And, um, it's, it's sort of compartmentalized and just ignored. And, but I also at the same time, don't meet a lot of people where I'm like in my day to day, especially having an online business where I'm like, wow, I'd really like to take her out you know what I mean? Like, how do you kind of describe this dating landscape that in, on, on many levels, there's, there's almost a, a, a biological or, or, or a, a genetic mismatch with mm-hmm. how we're courting. Well, so let me ask you, like, like when you said that you, like your, your brain doesn't like necessarily work with the way that these online dating apps work and you said you match with a lot of people, but don't actually end up engaging. Why do you think that you do that? Why do you think you match, but don't end up engaging? I'm not really that excited about most of my matches. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I don't like spending a ton of time on like my phone. Mm-hmm. And it yeah, seems, it, it seems like that in order to have more matches and then you got to yeah. do like the same sort of generic conversations over and over and over again. Like, I know what messages work, but it fucking bores me to go through those motions, you know? And then when I'm like trying to entertain myself by doing it different every time, then, you know, your success rate, quote unquote, goes down. Um, But yeah, I'm like, I just don't want to be on my phone all the time. And the, and frankly, I'm pretty selective and picky. So I'm like, am I going to go out with someone when I know before the word go that I'm not even really interested in possibly marrying this person or spending a life with them. Yeah. Uh, it's frustrating, isn't it? And uh, it's, it's, it's also hard just to like, I bet there are a lot more people on there that we would actually work well with, but we don't, our eyes not picking up on it because we don't have our, all of our senses being able to like gauge whether they'd be right. the right person or not. So if someone you know, hasn't depicted themselves the right way, um, then they might be a great match for us, but we're not seeing those qualities um, mm-hmm. you know, from a couple of photos and three sentences or whatever. And so like they're off. So yeah, it's, it's really. There is uh, a good amount of that too, that misrepresentation. Yes. And, and there's been situations where I've heard, I've heard tons of, I mean, there's hilarious stories. It is kind of funny when it's not you. 
that's like yeah. put in the time and effort to go get ready and meet somebody, but you show up and they look way different than their pictures or like they were really cool when you were messaging back and forth, but then their energy sucks and you just know within seconds that you're not interested, but now you got to sit through a sushi dinner and like pretend, you know, you don't want to hurt their feelings. You don't, you don't go out on like an actual dinner date for the not first Not anymore. Time. I did. I used to go on like a dinner date. No, now it's like something quick first. I, now I even will do um, like a, a FaceTime or a, or a Zoom. The only thing is Zoom kind of weirds people out. They feel like it's a business meeting. But if you FaceTime, I'll do that to see what their energy is like before I even meet with something short. And then it's always something that's easy to break it off and not, not a problem. But yeah, you meet with someone and they've misrepresented themselves and you're like, in some ways, like I know this is a little bit harsh, but I sort of feel like you're a liar. Like, yeah. you know, like you were yeah. trying to do this, yeah. right? Um, so there's that, there's that component too. And it's, it's, it's fun to read other people's experiences with that. But when it's you, you're like, I don't have a ton of time to do this. And you were my one for the week. <laughs> <laughs> you owe me time back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And may I God know. have mercy on your soul. <laughs> <laughs> so okay. how do you handle the dating landscape and like, like I, I, I've found Hinge seems kind of normal as a dating app. Yeah, I don't know why that's Tinder is a dumpster up. fire. I don't know why it's like picked up. If it's like people's perceptions and therefore they act more decent on on Hinge versus or the way that it's set up when people get to like actually start off with comments. I know like a lot of decent guys that maybe feel like they're not going to stand out like physically and stuff, and maybe that goes for both sides that they're because they're able to like comment uh on their matches then they can at least make like some kind of funny humorous comment and that will uh, uh, like sometimes you know open doors for them so come out on hinge on hinge yeah yeah okay yeah because you can you know when you like swipe on a person you have to sort of pick a picture or something yeah you say something about the photo and you can either just like it or you can make a comment on it and so i just i just say hi first name no and a little emoji works great it honestly has the highest success rate i and use you this should, well maybe i maybe it's because you have a like pretty great profile that's attractive enough but it's, if it's okay um i do those little sparkly uh, um, emojis that almost <laughs> looks like magic i say hi hi first name with those Pretty high success rate, believe it or not. Are you actually being serious? I'm dead serious. It works better than anything I've tried. And I I literally have notes on what has worked the best over years. Yeah. Everybody's trying to do something and it looks like I'm not trying at all. But that like, okay. But because, well, not everybody's trying. Everybody's just saying (laughs) hi. My my sense is you have an attractive enough profile Mm -hmm. that is, is interesting them because I put effort into my profile too. Yeah. yeah. If you didn't, that you would not give you getting that response. Uh, Mm -hmm. Because it's like, so um, low effort that most women would be like, oh, you're just saying hi to everyone seeing where, you know, it's Mm -hmm. uninteresting. So Mm -hmm. I suspect it's your profile that is interesting enough. Yeah. Sometimes I'll Um, also look at like, you know, on hinge, they say, um, different things like green, green flags and red flags, you know, green flags that they look for and red flags that they look for. If, if I align with the green flag, then that will be the thing that I comment on, you know, 
because a lot of times that's something that's very important to them. And it's something where they've gotten burned. Anyway, this isn't like a dating thing. And, <laughs> and like I said, I'm like, I've been on two hinge dates like the past year and a half. But um, I mean, what are the dating apps that that you either use or recommend or I, feel I'd like? I'd say Hinge is a, is a big one. Um, yeah. that it seems like that's where most people will go to. Like, I know there's like Raya and all these other ones. I, I don't know. How oh, yeah, yeah. I saw Raya's like, you got to like apply for it or something too. You got to apply for it and it's like based on looks and stuff. So um, I downloaded that and then didn't didn't do anything with it. Yeah, I'd say like Hinge, but it's it's really important what you put on there. Um, So we we're just, I was just away with girlfriends this weekend and we were working on lots of their like profiles, but You've got to make sure that every photo gives some kind of different aspect of you that's important. Mm -hmm. So uh, a classy side, a fun side, a down to earth side, some side like of you that like doing something, engaging some way. So like the photos aren't just there to like you at your best looking. It's to give an understanding of your personality as well. So if you depict yourself as versatile, as a complex human being, that's going to get more interest. Um, And your personality like needs to come through. So if you have humor, like definitely use that. But if there are things that are like important to you, that you have to put that on there. And you might be afraid that like, that's a unique thing and that it's going to put people off. But you you want to put off the wrong people. You want to put off as many yeah, people yeah. as possible, and you want it to be sort of a beacon of attraction to specifically the book, the people that you're interested in. So think about like the prototype of person you'd be interested in, and essentially write a profile in a that would attract that person. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, gosh, what could I say? Like one of the things I have on mine is like. Um, high levels of sort of emotional resilience, um, strong values, a man that's guided by his own values. Um, I don't know how I worded it, but it's like something about he has like a free thinker. Yeah. A free, I'm a little bit wary on that free thinker because nowadays that can mean every and anything, but essentially, yeah, like someone that has their own set of principles and values and that's what like guides them rather than anything else outside of them. And they have strong emotional resilience and stability and maturity. That's like pretty serious. And it's going to put off lots of, lots of guys who want to just hang out and have fun and blah, blah, blah. But that's kind of the intention. Um, because anyone else is a waste of time. Yeah. Right. So like, don't worry about putting people off, like have the kind of profile kind of like when you're applying for a job and it goes through a computer system and the computer's looking to pick out certain keywords. That's mm-hmm. essentially what you're doing for the other person that you're trying to attract. The kind of person that you want to attract should be Flipping through those profiles, and certain words should stick out, and they should go, "Oh, yep, yep, that's me. That's you know," uh, and and it should sound different. Right? You know, everybody puts travel, whatever. Don't put something that sounds nice. So put something that represents yeah. who you are. Like huh. if you're super into travel, go ahead and put that. But if you want to seem like you're someone that, I mean, I'm in Europe, so literally everybody puts travel down, and it's so boring or, you know, Sunday walk and going down to the pub for a Sunday roast or whatever, like 
everybody's going to put that, that you've got to put something a little bit unique that makes you stand out, but makes you stand out to the kind of person that you want to attract. Do you remember like the last guy you, you got excited about on a dating app and like what excited you about his profile? Um, intellect. intellect. How, how did that come through? Uh, it, the, the conversation. Um, so the, the profile, depicts something of like intellectual. So the, the last person that was interesting was someone that was on stage um, and was obviously doing some kind of talk or lecture or something. And that was one of the photos, but the other photos were really sort of chill, hanging out at a pub, you know, having a drink and, but there was, there was like laughter, or, um, but it, but that, that aspect that immediately was interesting to me. And then, um, and even then I wasn't, bothered by it but there were like two messages that I didn't respond to and finally like the second or third one was like a really funny engaging one and then mm. I was like oh funny and then so that's what would interest me and then that kind of funny back and forth clever exchange um was then interesting to get into because similar to what you said earlier it's like you get bored right mm. you it's the same exchange. The, whole, the whole process is 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 boring so, boring. so yeah. boring so when there's someone that is you're actually having a bit of like banter with and it's the sort of back and forth that's not like what do you do and i do you know that kind of because you can gauge a lot about someone's character and intellect by how they're able to like engage with you right so you don't even need to like ask them what they necessarily do or their character, if you can be a little bit funny and like push boundaries and see how they respond and react, um, that you can start to tell whether they're intelligent enough and they're clever enough to be able to hold a certain level of conversation. And that the whole point of that exchange should increase your interest in seeing them in real life. You're not like auditing them for everything on your list, right? right. Trying to figure out, are they fun enough or interesting enough that I'm going to want to go on a date with this person and just be curious about who the heck they are, their mm-hmm. story. Yeah. It also makes like when, when girls have done that, it makes them seem a little psycho if they ask you like 30 questions before you even know if you're interested in them. And I'm sure guys do it to girls. It's just the other way around. So recognizing that there are a lot of of men and women that are like sapiosexual essentially like attracted to intelligence and you don't have to talk about your car or your job if you if you show that you've got a sense of humor and an intellect and you can engage them yeah. them that way you know what i mean that um that's huge okay so how do you define love what is love <laughs> you had it on your thing that you wanted to talk about it. I got to hear your answer. <laughs> I, I feel like we've covered so much. <laughs> I'm bopping, I'm bopping my head like uh, Doug and Steve Butabi headed to the Roxbury. <laughs> How you should be really looking at love is if I'm with this person in five years from now, 10 years from now, no matter, it's not about the challenges we're going through. It's like, who am I becoming as a result of them? Right. So Lots of times people will be in these terrible relationships, but they're more addicted to the person than actually in love. And it's like tearing them down. And I'm like, you know what you're you're going to end up like, right? In in a year or two or five, if you're in with this in the, the individual, like every time they go and come, you're basically getting like a 
drug hit. It's not like it's this artificial hit of dopamine and then the pain of the withdrawal when there's conflict or they disappear on you or whatever. That sense of like intensity is not love. That's addiction. Um, but that So real love is like, if I'm with you throughout all the challenges and the difficulties and the whatever that we're going through, am I actually becoming a better human being? Not liking it every step of the way. Who likes becoming a better human being? It's just easier to, you know, do your low level, comfortable stuff. Um, but in five years from now, 10 years from now, am I going to look back and say I've grown more as a result of you. I'm more mature. I'm more stable. You know, I'm better able to communicate. Um, and to me, that's what like real modern relationships should be about, should focus mm -hmm. on. Mm -hmm. And then, so it seems like, I mean, that's very much, I understand the, the, the selection criteria, very intellectual process, right? Yeah. I'm, what about the emotion, the emotional side of love? Like, what does true love feel like? It's stable. It's not this like high and low. Um, it's not the kind of love when you're watching a movie and you're like, oh my God, he's yeah. doing so much for her. You know, that like these grand gestures and stuff. Yeah. Um, I do a talk on like the psychology of love, but when we're in that, like initially we fall into this addiction and the part of our brain that's like lighting up. Um, when we're with this person is the part of our brain that lights up when we're on like class A drugs, like cocaine and heroin and stuff. That's why when they're not around, it's such a like let down because it's essentially like going through a withdrawal process. Um, so that high and low is not that kind of feeling is not love. Um, once you get to the real love, it's people that talk about, let's say the history that they've been uh, through like the, the the memories they have, the ups and downs, the challenges, the things that they face, the um, obstacles they've overcome together. And there's this like solid stability of like, we knew we were going to be there to, for each other. We didn't always know, we didn't always like each other, right? But we were like there for each other. That sense of like commitment and loyalty and the willingness to like work on things. And over time, as you both do more and more of that, and you're able to like open up and be vulnerable and have deeper conversations and show parts of yourself that are embarrassing and weak and stuff. That's what then slowly develops into love. You've got to really know someone on a deep level and reveal yourself <clears throat> to know what you're loving, right? Like mm -hmm. when you're with someone two months, like, and you're in that, like, oh my God, I'm so in love. It's like, how this person's like had 30 years of, of being alive. Like you've known them for two months. Like how much do you actually know about them to love, you know, 1% if that <clears throat> of them. So and they haven't been tested. So yeah. So exactly what is your love? What are your feelings based off of? So your, your, your feelings have to have a real basis to something. Um, it can't just be, they're so amazing. So I'm not saying that's not love, but we only in the English language, we have one word to describe, you know, someone that's been together six months versus someone who's been together three decades. So it's difficult because the the language limits my ability to like talk about what love is. I have to sort of like describe it using different terminologies rather than a word that can describe what you feel at six months versus what you feel at, you know, five years, 10 years, 20 years, whatever it is. So um, there's variations, like the feelings are are there, but you go from a, a heady, intense, like I'm a cloud nine, like a drug hit 
to much more deeper sense of depth and connection. Like this is my person and I'm there. I'm theirs, right? And we have a history together that means something to us that has created narrative, a story. When I say I love them, I can say I love them because of this, because I see this characteristic about them, because that one time we went through this terrible thing and this is what I saw. That's what like when someone's saying I love them, I want reasons as to why. Mm -hmm. There has to be meat there uh, to your feelings. Um, And those feelings are going to be varied of this high intense versus like deep and stable. Yeah. There's so I, I do think that a lot of times programming, societal programming, the television, the shows that we watch in the movies, they create these unrealistic expectations mm-hmm. where we're constantly like compare and despair. Yeah. Um, I was actually watching an episode of 1923. It's one of those like Yellowstone prequel shows with sure. my mom the other night, and I heard her like crying. Cause there's this, this guy, Spencer, and he's like a hunter, wild, masculine man. And and then his, his girlfriend who he becomes his wife, Alex. And I hear my mom crying and I looked at her and I was like, mom, what's going on? And she's like, if I ever, you know, remarry after your father passes, I, I just want a man to look at me the way Spencer looks at her. And I was like, oh, yeah, mom, did you not feel like dad loved you? You know, and then we had a conversation around it. She was like, no, your dad like completely loved me. He just showed it in different ways. And he, but he didn't yeah. have the emotional depth that he I wish desire. He... What she's saying is that desire. Yeah, yeah, totally. And it's, and it's easy to totally ignore all the great things about our partner and be like, oh, he doesn't have like what the passionate, like yeah. leopard hunter Spencer on the TV show has, yeah. you know? Um, yeah. It's also important to recognize about our nature that the, the addiction that affects almost all humans more than any substance is familiar emotions. Yes. And a lot of those familiar emotions originate when, when, when we're children. Yes. So we get in these relationships where it may not be serving us and it may even be very disruptive, disruptive or physically abusive, but because yes. the familiar emotions are there, we are addicted to it. Yeah. Now, Absolutely. Of course, awareness starts the process of freeing yourself from that. But what? How, how do you help people snap out of that hypnosis? I'm sure you saw it a lot in your early work. Yeah. But it exists just as much in in yes. you know totally. all types of relationships. Yeah, and that's exactly what I was talking about uh, when I said I got into the domestic violence stuff, and I realized it's not like a. It's not about our, our logical understanding of what a healthy relationship looks like. It's it's about what we experienced and therefore those emotions that got normalized. And so for someone that's come from a chaotic, dramatic uh, household when there was just, things were just all over the place, um, that when, when a partner recreates those feelings, that's what we're going to get drawn to. And someone that is stable and consistent and present is going to feel really boring uh, to us. Uh, and we're going to feel sort of, you know, we're not going to feel what your mom wanted to feel with like Spencer. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's like, ugh. Um, and that, that is not, the feelings are there. Like you can tell someone it's like growing up eating junk food. 
and then you grow up and you feel really healthy and you have lots of health problems and you don't feel good about yourself and you're like, right, I'm sick of this and I'm going to clean up my diet and you know nothing about eating healthy. So you go and hire a nutritionist and they give you all the knowledge in the world and all the testing and you know perfect diet for you. But then you start doing that and you're just like, oh, this is so boring. This like salad is so boring. This broccoli is so boring. And and you don't feel it doesn't hit that spot, right? You don't feel like you enjoy your meals and your cravings are for the whatever that you're used to growing up eating. And you have to consciously recognize that and like and not give in to those cravings and not give in to those cravings. So the knowledge you can use to apply to understand the feelings, but the feelings are going to be there. When you have the knowledge, it doesn't make the feelings go away. It doesn't make the cravings for the unhealthy go away because that's what your body has like gotten used to and that's what it knows. And so you use the knowledge to override the unhealthy cravings for the unhealthy junk food for the unhealthy partner. And you have to do it over and over and over again until and when. The problem is, is that like movies sell this idea of that crazy unhealthy dynamic, the push, pull, the up and down, um, as that means is it's your soulmate, right? Like these, these people keep clashing and things keep happening, but you know, destiny keeps bringing them back together. And eventually it dawns on them because you're the love of my life and whatever it is. Um, and in real life, that's a really toxic dynamic. And when people play that out, they think that every time the person goes away and then they come back and they get a hit and, uh, and that, you know, that means the drama of it means that it must be this person. Look how intense I feel when they're around me and how low I feel when they go away. And I'm like, no, that's just the discomfort of your like drama, like being played out. And it's like not, it's normal to you, but it's not good, you know? And so you're craving like junk in a partner. And so we've got to override it, but it's, it's not, there's no like change, just like how you would change your diet and how difficult that would be. And how you'd have to overcome those cravings. It's the same thing in a romantic relationship. You have to overcome the cravings for drama. So let's really like bring this home with a couple concrete things for people that are single and um, some strategies for like, how can they date better? How can I date better? Um, which dovetails into, you know, how can I manage dating on apps better? and. Uh, yeah. And then, and then sort of like not just dating aimlessly, but like really dating to find that, that long-term potential. So I know I hit you with kind of three simultaneous questions there. If you want to take them one at a time, um, how can I date better? How can we date better? You know, but um, mostly for be, me, I'm being selfish here. <laughs> be aware of why you're dating. Right. So I think cause sometimes we go on lots of dates and we've ended up just dating for the sake of dating and we show up on a date and we just want it to be fun. And it's like, that's not, if you're looking for a long-term relationship, that's not really the point. Like, sure, hopefully you have fun, but you can't get caught up in the fun and like miss asking the significant questions. So if there are things that are important to you, character and, you know, understanding of, let's say, masculinity, femininity, we talked about that today, um, you, health, like healthy eating, growth mindset, like make sure that you have 
all those things that are valuable to you engraved in you so that as you are speaking, you can weave that into the conversation. Like the point isn't to have maximum fun. It's to have a good time, but get the information that you need. But if you are not aware of what you're looking for, because most people just go in and they're like, I don't know, I'll just know when I know. And I'm like, on the basis of what? And it's just like, well, if we have crazy chemistry, like, okay, chemistry says nothing about your long, long-term outcome. It just means that you have chemistry, right? But it can get you so far. And, and sometimes chemistry is just those familiar emotions we just talked about. That's right. The chemistry is exactly that. It's those familiar emotions and it can feel really cool and really great. But beyond that, it might be a disaster or there might be something substantial, but don't like, don't just like let it play out without actually engaging in that process and trying to figure out before you fall for someone. Because if the chemistry takes you to someone that's not right for you and you fall for them, I can't emphasize this enough. You are now addicted to them and you're basically going to have to come off of a drug, which is a painful process. Um, so is that, is, are you recommending journaling and like writing out what your perfect partner looks like? And, and Yeah, but focus on character, like internal characteristics. Because when I ask people to bring it in, it's very like superficial. And again, because online dating orients us to the superficial, what mm-hmm. we see on the screen, right? But when you're actually on a date, you want to be asking questions that are significant. So for instance, for some, uh, for a lot of women nowadays, this whole concept of toxic masculinity, which is, I can't, I really don't like the word, but anyway, they're aware of masculinity, right? So they want to know. They don't like it. They're like, I don't want a masculine man. They, they just, I think they have a lot of ideas of what like masculinity is, but so let's say you have a particular specific idea. So with, with one of my clients, we had talked about that. So I was like, okay, clear, like this is clearly important to you. And to, 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 to be fair to her, she had a bad upbringing, like a negative um, depiction of masculinity. So it was something that was very like apparent to her. So it was like, okay, rather than just asking a guy, are you toxic, right? That's not going to cut it. That's not going to work. Just have it in mind. So when she went on a date, um, he had mentioned that, you know, uh, he wasn't going to be around the weekend after because he was going on like uh, a bit of a trip with his dad. And for for most of us, if we weren't thinking about the things that we're looking for, we would have gone, okay, cool. He's telling me he's not going to be around next weekend to hang out. And we would have gotten past that. But because of what we had, the the work we had done, she used that as an opportunity to go, oh, cool. You and your dad hang out. And he's like, yeah. Oh, okay. What's that like? What's he like? What's your dad like? Do you think you, are you like him and stuff? And she got him to sort of open up about their relationship and essentially what her, his dad had um, like depicted as masculinity and what he had picked up and what he didn't like and what, and they had like this rich conversation and she got all all the information she wanted because she knew that was important to her and was able to catch that in naturally in the conversation and draw it out. So have those things that are important to you in mind. And when the opportunity comes, Oh, I read this article about blah, blah, blah. What do you think? Right. You know, so um, weave that into the conversation rather than asking poignant, direct questions, because we're on a date. Even if someone's not trying to lie to you, when you're asked a direct question, you're going to give the best answer. Right. So instead of asking direct questions, you're weaving it into the conversation and you're asking people to tell stories about themselves. Mm-hmm. Right? We can't lie when it comes to stories. When you go, how did you grow up? 
What was your family dynamic like? You know, why did you end up leaving your wherever you grew up and stuff? That's when you start to understand a person's psychology. Why well, I just didn't get along with my brothers and we really had a you know tough time or whatever. You're like, okay, so there might be some family problems here, right? Mm-hmm. Well, after my parents' divorce, you know, I just really had a hard time. Okay, so there's probably some kind of emotional impact here. So you're able to gauge more rather than going, did anything screw you up when you were a kid, right? So um, yeah. So like date with intention and like know what you, what's important to you on a deeper level and weave in into conversations. Um, and, and in that way, by the way, like that, that guy for my client um, said it was one of the best dates he'd been on because they got to talk about something that was unique and important, was important to her, but he was able to talk about something that he, no one had, no other woman had actually engaged with and asked him about. Yeah. It's very important too to define terms, right? Like what does toxic masculinity mean to you and how do you recognize it if and when it occurs? Okay. And then um, last kind of question as we bring this home or any other advice that you want to share with like, how do you manage dating on apps better? Right? So clearly I need to have a better, better opener. Um, What do you think could be high there? with the little sparkly emojis or high first name with the sparkly emojis. <laughs> um, a unique comment, like something about best to draw something out from something they've said. But if it's like a picture or something, just don't just comment on their looks, like say something, say something unique, which means that you're not going to spend a lot of time just swiping on people. Yeah. Um, it's going to be actually like engaging, but your return uh, will be a lot higher, right? If you actually say something significant and unique about that person, then that that individual knows, okay, like you're not just going there. You actually liked my profile and you mm-hmm. took the time to say something that you liked about my specific profile. So you're going to likely get uh, a return on investment uh, there. And what was the other thing I was going to mention about that oh yeah and the other thing to sort of keep in mind is again don't get lost into what this thing is which is it's it's there to help you actually meet people it's not there for you to have as many matches as possible and feel good about yourself that that is so huge because then it just bogs you down and especially if you don't like spending a ton of time on the phone so i've realized that like i was swiping right when i wasn't excited enough where it's like, if I wouldn't be like jacked to go on a date with this person, why am I swiping right? You know, it just sort of like, it it, it floods your account and then you get overwhelmed and you don't do anything. Sure. Yeah. It's almost and like swipe right on like possible marriage potential as that, ridiculous as that yeah. sounds. Yeah, yeah. Swipe right on people that you're actually excited about and that you're going to want to engage in conversation. Like if you were not going to talk to them, don't, because it gives the illusion that you have a lot of options when you actually don't, mm-hmm. right? You end up feeling like, oh, I have, you know, hundred like connections. And it's like, no, you would probably only really want to be interested in five of those. Mm-hmm. So your brain is like, is being tricked into thinking there's lots of lots of options and I can always do better and I can find more when in reality, not that much. So like, make sure you'd only swipe on people you talk to and make sure you are spending more time trying to talk to people than swiping. Mm-hmm. It's this, not a game. You're not on like, you know, on, uh, on like a machine, like a gambling machine. Like you're not just getting hits. It, um, it's you're huge. actually are trying to meet people. I realized a few years ago that I was using dating as it was one of the only ways that I relieved stress outside of like working out. 
that would be my fun. Um, so I'd want to go have fun on a date, but that made it so that I was a lot less selective because I wanted to have lots of dates because I didn't have other things that I was doing for fun. You know, where now I'm like taking dance lessons and learning salsa. And like, I had to fill my life with other things that could play that role of stress relief and fun, and then be able to be more intentional and selective with dating. Yeah. Well, this has been fun. I've, I've enjoyed our conversation. Um, I don't, I, I don't know if you have any, anything else that you think is really important for like this dating and, and, you know, the 2023, um, you know, now is a, a, a feel free to share that if you do, if you don't, if you feel like we covered a lot of good stuff and, um, then, <laughs> then, 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 uh, let it, let, let our listeners know how they can support you and where they could stay up to date with cool things you're working on and all that fun stuff. Oh, I should be better. I hate social media, so I don't keep up on it. Me too. I haven't, I haven't posted in a few weeks. Oh God, a few weeks. I just, I've like years. Um, so I don't think you're even on Instagram. I looked to check yeah, and see what, no, what you were, what I you tried. Were I tried. I just can't, again, I just can't make myself get on those things. Yeah. It's, um, it's they're, they're kind of, there's a little bit of evil to them. And they're super yeah, I feel like I should like hire someone. If anyone out there interested in like maintaining social media, please let me know. I wouldn't even do that. You're just just yeah. just leave it alone. Just, I just I just there's no like I do talks, I do a whole bunch of stuff, and I never post it on there. I'm just like mm -hmm. it doesn't matter. So um, I don't know. Yeah, if you if you're interested in anything like uh, sessions or whatever, I see people sort of around the world online. So you feel free to contact me. I am putting together um uh gosh a, a module a course on like relate dating it's going to include dating it's going to include like uh, understanding you know when you're going on a date how to what questions to ask and understanding love and being able to differentiate between the addiction versus the real stuff so all of that it will be coming out in the next couple months um so yeah keep up to date on that and any speaking gigs if anybody wants me to come around and whatever i want to travel more so let me know um the further the better i'm up for that Awesome. And your website is uh, Catherine. Yeah. K-A-T-H-R-I-N-E. Bejanian.com. B-E-J-A-N-Y-A-N.com. And yeah. you work with more women or men? No, both. 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 And then. I love working with men. What's what's your what's your bread and butter? Like, who do you really help? Like the 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 serial dater that just can't meet that person, the, someone who's in a relationship and doesn't know why it's not working out. They feel. Uh, um, I would say it's it's a it's a it's a mix. Um, mm -hmm. so I focus on relationships, and I'd say I have about sixty percent single, um, and forty percent couples. Um, and I like I said, I started like with women's issues and stuff, but. Um, actually men need a whole lot of support. Um, and there is none really out there for men. So like I've taken to a real liking to like working with men on helping them define masculinity for themselves that doesn't cut out strength and confidence and stuff. Um, but yeah, actually doesn't, doesn't on a long enough timeline, destroy the family unit and weaken yes. our society. Yeah. 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 Men and women both need strong men. Like we need that. We yeah. want that. And women, when they're dating, look for that. So I don't know why we have such negative views, uh, that are embedded in uh, unhelpful terminology and stuff that confuse everybody. Um, but yeah, so 
Yeah. I like I'm, it. So if you're listening to this and you're single and you want more clarity and more intention in your dating life and 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 to just be better at that process and, and finding the person that is perhaps your soulmate, um, reach yeah. out to Catherine. And Catherine, thank you so much for sharing your time and wisdom today. It's been fun. Likewise. Thanks. So in early 2022, almost out of nowhere, I started experiencing massive changes in my body and mental health. My hair was thinning and falling out faster than ever before. I was experiencing mood fluctuations, I was putting on body fat, losing strength and muscle mass. I was even having a harder time remembering certain people's names and things that I knew I knew. My face looked older and I had more wrinkles and there was a noticeable decrease in my sex drive. And then one of the guests that I had on our podcast introduced me to a product called BioPro Plus that naturally boosts your IGF-1 and human growth hormone levels. If you haven't listened to that episode, go back and check out episode 265 on how to increase HGH, boost libido, and experience 68% better recovery with Dustin Baker. BioPro Plus contains a combination of powerful natural ingredients for boosting HGH, human growth hormone, and IGF-1, like elk antler, tribulus, and shilajit, all in their purest and most potent forms. What's interesting is elk antlers are the only mammalian appendage capable of continuous regeneration. These antlers grow an inch or more per day and have the fastest growth rate of any organ in the animal kingdom. I started taking one glass vial every morning and holding it under my tongue for 90 seconds before swallowing. And before I'd even finished my first kit, I was getting compliments on my skin and how I looked five to 10 years younger. You can even go back and look at some of my social media videos from earlier this year, and you'll see how big of a difference there is. Since then, my energy has increased. I feel more motivated. My libido and sex drive came back. I've been losing fat. I'm stronger and recovering faster from my workouts. And my hair is coming in thicker and it even stopped falling out. If my story resonates with you, I highly recommend you try BioPro Plus for yourself. When you feel it, you'll understand what I'm talking about. And for a limited time, you can save $30 on your order by going to bioproteintech.com and entering discount code biohacks. That's B-I-O-P-R-O-T-E-I-N-T-E-C-H.com and discount code B-I-O-H-A-C-K-S. 